is Wednesday, August 20th, 2014. And in case you haven't watched the news lately, we're living in some pretty tough times. It, it's very easy to be fearful because it seems like all we hear is about abroad these terrorists. I mean, that's what gives them power. They like to terrorize. We hear of riots here in the U.S., uh, diseases, Ebola, uh, Ebola virus spreading all over the place. Uh, we look around our country and we see corruption in every office. We're seeing uh, a corrupt government. And we are starting to see waves of judgment creeping in. We're starting to, uh, we can look out there and it can be real easy to just be fearful. Okay. You can, um, and that's and that's why a lot of this is going on. I mean, if if we weren't motivated by fear, the terrorists wouldn't have any problems. <laughs> you know, our government wants to motivate voters by fear. And uh, you can go ahead and give me the title slide tonight because it's a strange title. It's fear versus desire, and That was the best that I could come up with. I wanted to use fear this, but I didn't. I, I didn't want to give fear any positive connotation. Um, but when Eric called me, go ahead and give me Proverbs ten twenty four. You don't have to turn there tonight because I want everybody to focus. You can write the scriptures down. I'll even tell you what translation I got them out of. You'll see right under the scripture. That's where I got them from. Um, this is how much of the message I had when you called. That's it right there. It says, Proverbs 10.24, What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desires of the righteous will be granted. And um, a couple weeks ago, I heard something about this scripture, and I had to find out if it is true. Um, I think it was Monday night, me and Brenton were studying his science, and in science it says that a hypothesis is an educated guess, and then you do testing on it, and it becomes a theory when you find some grounds, but it's not proven yet. Once it's proven, then you can call it a law. And so I heard something come from this scripture and I needed to search the scriptures out to see whether it was, you know, a hypothesis, whether it was a theory or whether it's a law. And so I'm going to make a, a bold statement on the next slide, but you can go ahead and go to it. It says fear enables. Fear enables the very thing we dread to come to pass. And that is the hypothesis we're going to start with. That fear enables the very thing that we dread to come to pass. In some translations, fear is translated dread. It's translated worry. Um, there's a whole lot of words, but in general, we're talking about fear. The definition of dread is to fear greatly. And so... Fear enables the very thing that we are fearing 
to come to pass. We're going to just move through slides here. Let's go ahead and go on to the next slide. Let's find out if the scripture supports this. Job, we know the enemy put him through the ringer. And Job, after hearing of the tragedies that came, he makes this statement. In Job 3.25, he says, What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. You see, Job had fears, and the enemy knew what his fears were. And the enemy is uh, more than obliged to make our fears come true. Um, he is a terrorist, and that's how they have, that's how terrorists have their power. That's how the enemy uh, gets people to move and to operate, and he operates by fear. We can go on to the next slide. See, Job feared losing his children. Job feared losing his wealth, and Job feared losing his health. Fear enabled the very thing we dread to come to pass. Because he feared those things, the enemy, by the way of having a hedge to remove, went immediately to work. And so fear gives, what it does is it fuels the possibility of what you fear to actually take place. Now, the title is Fear Versus Desire because I didn't realize how much fear I lived in until I went and examined some of the things I was saying that I was concerned about and how I was setting up the very thing to happen. How many of you have heard or have said, I fear that my marriage just might not make it. Versus saying we are desiring a godly marriage. Amen. You see, when you begin to fear something, you begin to take the steps to make it come to pass. Fear begins to guide you in your decisions and you're living according to the dictates of the fear. Now, in our heart, we might be thinking we're saying the same thing. Well, I'm, I fear my marriage I could lose my marriage. But the righteous doesn't say that. The righteous say, I want my marriage to glorify God. Those are two different mindsets. And people will begin to do two different sets of things based off of what they think. How many of you say, have said before, I worry about this child? And when you have six, there's at least one or two. <laughs> That at times you might have said, I'm worried they're not going to turn out for the Lord. Then what I'm, the steps that I'm going to be taking with this child are all wrong. I'm going to be acting out of fear instead of knowing what the desire for this child is and begin to put those in place. See, the righteous desire, the scripture actually says what you fear will come upon you. And that is bondage. That's, that's, a, um, that's a submissive uh, approach. When you fear something, it will come upon you. 
But when you desire something, it's granted to you. You're still in charge. You're in authority. And it's added to you as a benefit versus fearing something and having it come upon you. See, the enemy knows your fears. And he knows how to motivate us. And he knows, and I began to analyze why I was doing some of the things I was doing, and I was doing more out of fear than I was out of a righteous desire. And what father would not fear if he saw something going on in his household or something in his marriage, something in his job? React. But I'm almost 100% sure it would have caused me that very thing to come to pass. Fear gets us to cause it to come to pass. Fear enables us to bring it upon us. And we're going to look at scriptures. I look, I found some scriptures. I'm excited about the things that I found tonight because I had never seen it before in these stories. I've heard these stories over and over and I never saw this element of it. So I'm, I'm a little excited tonight, but I'm also, um, aware of what can happen if we allow fear to motivate us. You can go ahead and give me the next slide. See, fear influences us. It causes us to walk in disobedience. It can cause us to walk in disobedience while we think that we're doing the right thing. And we're going to look at that in the scripture. So let's pull up this next slide. This is Jeremiah 42, 11 through 16. Okay, Jeremiah is a prophet and he's a prophet to Judah. And because of their sin, they're at a time of judgment. They are, they're seeing Babylon rise up. They're all worried. There is fear. There is fear. Look, there are some righteous ones in this nation too. They're not all wicked. But what had happened was, Judah's sin had caused judgment to come on them. And listen, what's the first? God started out by speaking, by saying, Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon. Even in judgment, God says, Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. They're in complete fear. He says it again, Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hands. I will show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your land. Yes, judgment is coming, but the God can cause the enemy to have compassion on us, even in judgment. Amen. However, if... You say, we will not stay in this land. And so, disobey the Lord your God. And if you say, no, we will go and live in Egypt. Why? Where we will not see war, or hear the trumpet, or be hungry for bread. They didn't want to hear that trumpet sound, because that was the indication that the king of Babylon is at their door. 
So what they're saying is, what we'll do is we'll just go down to Egypt so we don't have to face the sword and we won't have to face famine. I mean, if you were fearful, wouldn't that be a great idea? You know, judgment is at the door. What should we do? I don't want to, I wouldn't want my children to experience the sword or famine. But the Lord spoke to him and he said, do not go down into Egypt. He says, then hear the word of the Lord, you remnant of Judah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. If you determine to go to Egypt and you do go and settle there, I put it in red, it's a little hard to see. It says, then the sword you fear will overtake you there. And the famine you dread will follow you into Egypt and there you will die. See, they were motivated by fear and they thought they could escape the judgment of God by going down to Egypt. Fear motivated them to not face the judgment. And so they thought they could flee the sword and famine. And the Lord says, no, if you go, it will cause the sword to come upon you. If you fear, if you act in fear and not in obedience, then that which you fear will come upon you. Let's go ahead to the next slide. The Lord used words like overtake, follow. Um, Fear just has a tendency to bring those things. When you are fearful, you, you become this magnet for the things that you fear. And God told them to fear not. You see, fear not appears 365 times in the scriptures in various forms. Fear not, do not fear. So the Lord was trying to get across to us not to fear. Why? Because if they were, if we as a people fear, we begin to do things that, is, that will put us in disobedience. It will um, cause that very thing to come upon us. See, fear even will make us misjudge God's character. God, and this is not a slide, this is a little extra that I got during worship. The Lord took them, uh, Israel, out of the land of Egypt. And He brings them up to uh, crossing of the sea. And they see Pharaoh coming and immediately they judge God's character and Moses. And they said, why have you brought us out here? Because there was not enough graves in Egypt? Is this why you brought us out here? Do you understand that the fear caused them to misjudge God's character? And then they get a few days into the journey and they don't have any water and they don't have any food. And they say, why have you brought us out here to die? You see, the fear messed up their thinking and made it made them actually turn on God and made them think that God was trying to bring this thing upon them. Fear will distort your mind. It will call it. You will you will not think straight. Fear is like a drug. You're not going to make the right decisions. And fear is a real thing. It's real. 
It's the first thing that shows up when you get bad news. When you go to the doctor and they give you bad news. First thing you do is fear. And then you begin to, you begin to, you played the whole thing out in about four seconds of how this is going to go. It's going to be bad. Then we're going to have, it's the worst. The worst thing. And then you begin to walk that out because you are in fear. And the Lord says, fear not. I know that's what the doctor report says. I know that that's what the pink slip means. But fear not. Don't question God's judgment because you are now overcome by fear. Fear robs us. Fear robs us of God's will in our life. To bring it to um, practical times, uh, about a month and a half ago, I know there was a beheading yesterday. This is not the one that I'm talking about. There was a beheading. I want to say it was somewhere in Syria. It was by ISIS. And this guy was a Christian. He was teaching English, I believe is what it was. He was, te- he was a teacher. Well, a lot of missionaries will go into these areas and they will teach. Well, he was outed. And they brought him before the streets. And they made a big spectacle out of it. They filmed it. They wanted everyone to see that they were going to kill this Christian. He was uh, ministering. He was uh, evangelizing while ISIS is supposed to be ruling and they can't have that. And so they lined up in a, gu- in a uh, shooting squad. They were going to shoot him. Now I think there was like 10, 20 men. They were all lined up. They had him bound up. But they told them, if you deny your God... We won't shoot you. I I have not been put in that position. But he faltered. He denied Christ. And the man addresses the crowd and he says, You're an infidel. And you don't profit Allah at all. And he said, You're a traitor. You don't profit Jesus either. You deserve to die. And he says, the proper way would have been to shoot you, but we kill infidels this way. Took his head and cut it off. Fear robbed He was this close to martyrdom, to a reward. And fear robbed him, took it from him. You can go, fear has this power to think, I could just escape it if I do this. But you cannot allow fear, even when judgment comes, to motivate you and get you to, to move. So we're going we're gonna to look at Saul. Why did Saul lose his kingdom? It's not a trick question. So why did Saul lose the kingdom? He was disobedient, right? Uh, why was Saul disobedient? Watch this. Because we'll always say, well, you know, Saul was just a renegade. He's, he, he just didn't have any uh, recollection for, for God. Uh, Saul got in trouble for sacrificing. Saul got and lost the right to the kingdom in something that looked incredibly godly. 
Then in 1 Samuel 15, 24, you know the story. Okay, he has just beaten the Amalekites. And they kind of kept the choice sheep and whatnot, and, and even the king, because they were going to sacrifice. They were going to sacrifice, and let's read it, because I was surprised why Saul lost the kingdom. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. Why? I feared the people and did what they demanded. Okay, Saul is a king. And he's supposed to be leading the people. And now he's making choices because he fears the people. Because he thinks the people is what gave him the power to be king. Paul's beginning to see, uh, Saul's beginning to see cracks. He's beginning to see weaknesses, disgruntled. He can see God's hand lifting off of Saul. And he thinks, if I do this, if, if we just have this great sacrifice, God will be pleased and the people will be pleased. And look, we get this thing back on track. But fear caused him to do something. Now, if we didn't know the whole story, it looked perfectly great. If you fear, we'll, we'll use the, the examples that Job had. If you fear, you're going to lose your children. You might begin to do things that look godly. You might put them in this program, go do this with them, and make all the wrong decisions because you're reacting out of fear. You might uh, be afraid that you're going to lose your health. So you start running to this. You start doing all these things. And look, they look great. But they're actually going to cause the thing you fear to overcome you. He lost all his wealth. I mean, Job's just being honest. What man doesn't fear losing his children, losing his health, and losing his wealth. It's just natural. But God has called us to be uh, righteous and to have righteous desires. And I'm going to go through fear and we're going to get off of fear. But what I want to do tonight is expose it. Because exposing something is half the battle. You know what you're fighting. You know what you're up against. If you do not know where the punches are coming from, See, fear loves to work in ignorance. If Saul was ignorant, he's just going to keep doing what he thought would please both God and man to keep his kingdom. You see, uh, some kings and some other men, they go run because their health is failing or they hear that a, um, an army has come about. And so what do they do? They go make a treaty and a deal with unrighteous kings because they think that they're going to preserve themselves by acting this way. That's why I love Jehoshaphat and what he did because he didn't go to anyone else. He said, let us consecrate ourselves. Let's have a fast. Let's get before the Lord. God is the only one that can deliver us. I mean, if fear does anything, let it motivate you to run to the Lord. Amen. Amen. So Saul compromised 
to keep the kingdom. But in turn, the very thing that he tried to prevent came upon him. Let's go to the next slide. See, fear paralyzes you and it keeps you from victory. I searched high and low for a video of myotonic goats. If you don't know what a myotonic goat is, when you scare them, they freeze up and they faint. And the, the, the videos are hilarious because these people get such a kick. They run up, they scare these goats, they fall over, and all you can hear is laughs. I can almost hear the enemy laughing at us when, they, when we freeze up and we're paralyzed in fear and we fall over. You can ask Trace, I think I went through 120 videos. I couldn't find any that were clear enough. And So if you, if you ever have time, Google myotonic goats. It's hilarious. And it's sad because in one of those videos, it says that shepherds, uh, they, they were actually becoming valuable because what happened was when you had choice goats, they would take these uh, monotonic goats and put them in with the choice goats. So when the wolves would come, they didn't get any of the choice goats. It was an easy prey. They would stiffen up. And it's a genetic disease that when fear happens, that adrenaline locks the muscles up and they are paralyzed. They are open game for that which is pursuing them. I mean, that is not a good gene to have. You know, but how often as Christians, the enemy shows up, fear takes over, and we freeze up. Fear keeps you from victory. Let's look at another... Another common story. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have God's army sitting on one side of a hill. We have a valley, and then we have the Philistines on another side. And there's an intimidator who likes to use fear. His name's Goliath, and he comes down every morning, makes his boastful rant against God's army, and then he goes back. What it did was it paralyzed God's army. They were paralyzed. They were, they were wrought with fear. For 40 days they could not advance. They went to go to war and now they fear this one man. They're paralyzed. And we know they've been there a while because now David has to come and bring some supplies. Okay, so it says that Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defied the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. It says, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Uh, one of the translations I looked up and it said, Great fear wrought or came over. And they were 
I mean, they're trying to advance. And here they are uh, gathered together, being demoralized every day by this uncircumcised Philistine. Then we have, you can go to the next slide. Same chapter, just a little further down. In verse 26, this is David. And David comes into this, into the camp. And it's the time that Goliath comes out to strike fear. And he makes these rants again. But there's something strange. David doesn't fear him at all. He actually heard what the Philistine was saying. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Amen. There's no fear in him. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut your head off. Do you, any fear in David's voice? Not at all. He said this day, now listen what he says. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Didn't we start out with the thing that said that what you fear will come upon you, but the desires of the righteous will be granted to them? He said, I've got no fear of you, Goliath. Today the Lord's going to deliver you into my hands. And I'm going to cut your head off. Amen. Amen. There was an entire army more equipped, more experienced than David. But they were paralyzed by fear. What the wicked fears will come upon him but the desire of the righteous will be granted. So, it's now at least a theory that if you fear something, it's the enemy's tool to get you to go along with causing it to come to pass. Kingdoms were lost. Callings were lost. Salvation was lost. All due to fear working. But without that being exposed, it looked like they were doing just normal things. What, what family would not flee into Egypt if they thought Babylon was coming? I mean, without hearing from the Lord, fear will just run you right into destruction. That's why it's so important that we hear from the Lord. If you get a bad report, then you need to find out what God says about it. Amen. Because you only have what the doctor told you. And it's not if it's not a good report, it's not a good report. That's probably the truth. But we serve a God who can change situations. Amen. He can make our enemy serve us. He can make our enemy show compassion on us. Let's go to the next scripture. And in, in Proverbs 10, um, 24, Solomon, um, sometimes Solomon will, will throw out some Proverbs there and they all kind of build on each other. And then there's sometimes where 24 has nothing to do with 25, 23 has nothing to do with the one before. So Solomon is just throwing these out there. But... You can so easily 
not realize that, yes, it's just one verse and it doesn't really build off the rest of them, but there is a treasure in that one verse if we could just get some understanding on it. If we could just, uh, I mean, he's not just making up stuff. He's getting wisdom from the Spirit of God and he's writing them down. And so many times I read through Proverbs and I say, I don't know what he's saying. I have no idea what... Solomon is saying that's because I don't have the understanding from where he was standing to be able to say those things. Proverbs 11.23 tells us that the desires of the righteous ends only in good, but the hope of the wicked only in wrath. That is the NIV, the New American Standard. The reason why I put both of them up there is because I like both of them and they both say two different things. The desire of the righteous is only good. So is the desire good or does it end in good? It doesn't matter. They're both good, right? But the expectation of the wicked is wrath. So the righteous desires produces good in our life. It produces the kingdom in our life. That's why the scripture says, fear not, for it is the Lord's desire to give you the kingdom. And so when we get that desire in us, it causes the kingdom to come forth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's done by him putting his desires in the righteous. And in the face of fear, the righteous, through that desire, produce only good. Let's move to the next slide. Because we're going to start shifting now and we're going to look at um, we know what the wicked does. We know, and, and what I like about this, it talks about the righteous. It doesn't say Christians. It says the righteous. Because if we say Christians, you say, oh, well, I'm a Christian. But are you righteous? Now, does the righteous do this, or is it because they do this that they're righteous? That's the question. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now you might miss this. But there is an if-then statement here. Because we like to say, oh, the Lord, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. What did that say? If you, des- if you delight yourself in the Lord, then... Programmers know what an if-then statement is. God will give you to the desires of your heart when you delight in Him. If-then. When you go, if anybody ever takes any kind of programming class, one of the first things you learn is if-then. If-then is a conditional function. If this condition is met, then do this. How many of you pull up a website? You pull up a website and there is a tab that says contact us. Well, what do you think happens if you click on that button? It brings you something to contact them, right? There's an if-then statement. The whole page is built. If you click on this, then do this. If you click on this, then do this. If you click on... Um, the back button, it, it has a function. Those functions cannot, by the laws of a program, 
function without the if being met. The if condition has to be met for the then to take place. If you go to a website and you didn't click on anything and it starts doing something, it's acting like a virus. And it's, it's got you locked into the page and you can't get out. It was probably a page you shouldn't have been on in the beginning and now you can't get off of it. Things have, <laughs> things like that happen to come upon you when you're in fear, you know. So we're going to look at some if then. I mean, one of the, the one I quote all the time, it's an if then that is implied. Children, obey your parents. What's the rest of it? There, there's a couple versions, but it will go well with you and you'll have a long life, right? You see the if and the then? All God's promises are if and then. If you do this, then I will do this. You want your kids to walk with God? You better find out what the if is and do it. And it's not motivated by fear. It's in God's word of what we're to do to train up our children. Train up a child. There's the if. If you train up a child, then when he is old, he will not depart from it. All of God's promises are if and then. You say, oh, well, God's salvation isn't conditional. Well, it's under the condition that you repent. So there's an if and then. You have to believe. And then, once that condition is met, something takes place. So let, let's look at Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. We say that all the time, and I've, I've actually quoted it so much, I missed all the ifs in there. Because there's what it might say if, but if what? If they humble themselves. Wow, well, that ought to be enough. Lord said, no, if they pray. See, when I quote it, I hear, if you pray, then God will do this. But he says, you must humble yourself then you have to pray, and surely then the Lord would answer, right? He says, no, you have to seek my face. There's a lot of condition here. So you might, you might be fearful of something. The Lord has an if-then statement for it. Well, Lord, I want my children to serve you. Well, meet these ifs. My word is there. I'll put the desire in your heart. Just stop yielding to fear because you are sending them to exactly what you're fearing. Then they have to turn from their wicked ways. Doesn't that sound like a full repentance revival? Then if that's the case, their land will be healed because they probably will be... um, doing what is necessary for it to be healed in their land. So we, we cry all the time, Oh Lord, our country is coming off the rims. And if we do these things as a country, then He'll turn. We would like to just pray. 
We would like to just humble ourselves. But he says, this is what America would have to do for us to be healed. We're going to, we as a church and as an entire church in America will have to stop pursuing riches and stop acting in fear. Will have to humble themselves first because you can't pray unless you've first been humbled. You humble yourself, you pray, you seek my face, and you turn from your wicked ways. That's a whole lot of conditions to be met for land to be healed. This country was great because it was based off of those principles. And now we want our president to go do something about this wickedness. They can't. They can't see it. They're delusional. They can't see. It's coming off the rims. That's a, that's a saying we used to say back in Louisiana. You ever seen a, a, um, a, a police chase? And they've gotten to the point where the sparks are flying because yeah. the tires are gone. It's almost over. <laughs> but they're still going. That's about where we're at as a country. The sparks are flying. We've come off the rims. And judgment would be the only thing that could separate us from what the wickedness that's coming. And even when Babylon was coming, the Lord said, Look, this judgment is for your own good. It's going to turn your heart back to me. And if you're obedient and you don't go run to Egypt, I'll preserve you and I'm going to restore you. And if you can't look out there and see the waves of judgment, starting to come, then then you're blind. But it's not to cause us to fear. It's to cause us to first hear from the Lord, find out what His desire is, and do it that we might be found righteous, even in judgment. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the next slide. If then, okay, it's an action item that produces a result. That even God could not um, bypass. I was in a meeting one time and someone brought up the question. They found this um, tomb or sarcophagus and they didn't know who was inside but they thought maybe it was a biblical figure and what up. And then someone asked the questions, well, if they found Jesus' body and they proved that it was Jesus' body, would it shake your faith? I don't know. Do, would it shake your faith if they found Jesus' body? Go to the next. It's a trick question. First Corinthians. And if Christ has not been raised, then you are preaching in vain. Your faith also is in vain. They won't find his body. It's not going to be found because there's an if then there. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, then you are still in your sin. Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. You see, if they find the body of Jesus, we don't have a Savior. It takes Him to be raised. That is the if condition for the then to happen, for us to be set free from sin. So even God was bound by this if-then. 
So if Christ is not raised, then we're still in sin. What I want to drive tonight, we've exposed fear. We expose that in fear, your judgment isn't correct and you really think that you might be doing the Lord's, uh, you know, you think you're doing the will of the Lord. You fear your children are going to um, turn out wrong. So what do you do? You start praying more. You start worshiping more. And God says, no, I'll do this. What you think you're doing isn't working. You're motivated by fear. When you pray, you pray fearfully. Instead of doing the actions, desire of God or of the righteous demand an action. So let's go to Proverbs 13.4. The desire is not enough. This is why I'm asking, does fulfilling the desires make you righteous or does the righteous get their desires filled? The soul of a lazy man desires. Uh, one translation says it covets. That means a really desire. It, it is lusting after and has nothing. Now, why would the lazy man have nothing if he desires? Because he can't meet the if statement. He can't get to that point to do anything. Yeah, he desires, but he has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Amen. Why? Because he's willing to do what the desires are dictating in his heart. And too often, we choose what we want to do in a service to the Lord to resolve an issue. And the things that we do, I mean, they look great. Poor, poor Saul got in trouble for sacrificing to the Lord because it was motivated by fear. The la- you, can, you can keep it there. The soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing. Um... I didn't have time to put it together, but there's another scripture. I think it's only found in the New King James. Even the King James doesn't have it. But it says that the lazy man puts his hand in the bowl. And he can't even bring it back up to his face. He can get his hand in the bowl, but he can't get it back up to his face. You can desire all you want, but desire demands diligence and action. See, let that godly desire motivate you into action. And when I got this message, I was thinking, this is the most fearless people that I've ever been around. And they their heart is eager to fulfill a desire of the Lord. And so there was that I don't know why would I even be preaching to you guys, fear not. Because it's what motivates us to make decisions. They have to be the right decisions. All right, last scripture. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It didn't say anything about the first man believing and the second man didn't believe. It was the actions. They both built a house. But one of them believed and built it on the commands of God. The other one built it because he feared the rain would come. He feared the storm would come. He feared those things. And it came. And it proved fatal for that house. So you can almost put the if-then statement. Not almost, you can If you put this into practice when your trial comes, it won't overcome you. If you obey my commands when your trials come, then you will be victorious. There's the if then. We think if we're both building the house, but one of them is built off of the dictates of fear and the other one is off of righteous desires. And... I had to seek the Lord because all my actions that I was doing in the house was based off of fear. I didn't even know, I had to come to a point where I didn't even know what I should be doing. So I had to humble myself. I had to pray. I had to turn from my wickedness of acting in fear and meet all those if statements then God would show me. And I'll put that into practice And guess what? The desires of the righteous will be delivered to them. And that fear that I have is not coming on my house. It's not. Who you fear, you obey. Trials will come. Judgment will fall. We can mask it with words like worry. I'm not fearful. I'm just worried I'm I'm concerned. It's fear. The right do you know the righteous isn't concerned about those things? He's more focused on bringing the kingdom on the earth. Then he, he has no time to worry. He has no time to consider what might happen. It doesn't matter even if the army start building up against them and the, the well the doctors say this. Well, I serve God, and He's the one that has the final say-so. So we're in a fight, and I wanted to put fear up against the ropes. Because fear has had me in the corner too long. And I'm thinking I'm fighting fear with faith by fearing and doing the things that dictated that I thought I needed to do because fear was controlling me. I fear to, I'm going to do this because I'm, and the harder I do that is going to prevent this from happening. The Lord said, that is wickedness and it will come on you. The thing you fear will come upon you. What does God's word say about, yeah, but does it apply to this? Yes, it applies to this. It applies to everything in your life. If you do not know what your child's called in life is, you don't know what the if is. You don't know what you're even supposed to be doing for them. 
it, it, I just hope that they're saved. That's just shooting for minimum there. Find out, find out what each child in your family's calling is. Get a desire for that, and righteousness will bring it to pass. You will watch them if you if if the Lord says your children are going to be missionaries to nations then do what that righteous desire is doing in you and you will watch them go to the nations. If you are just wanting them saved, you will fight the enemy in fear for their salvation all their life. They'll be 47 and still fighting for their salvation because that's all the hope that you had for them because you've set them up based off of your fear of where they're going to go with God. Amen? And that's that's pretty much what I got tonight. What? I don't mind saying that that is my favorite message that Brent has brought, and I'm glad he did. Did you glean something from it? You think that's worth chewing on? Uh, We'll see, Brent, if we can get those notes to put alongside the sermon because uh, we, we have the ability to upload those. As we close, 365 times Brent said that the Word says in its various forms, fear not. That's one for every day. If God tells you every day, of your life, how many every years it's been, you think he's pretty serious about it? On the last day of Moses' life, ten times in the book of Deuteronomy, he said, do not be afraid. Ten. It seemed to be the singular most important thing to the prophet, to the nation, that the nation understood. Could you put Hebrews eleven six on the screen? I simply want to close with the idea that it is not possible to dwell in fear and faith at the same time. One will always displace the other. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, if faith cannot dwell in the same place as fear, then if you're in fear, it's not possible that you're pleasing God. And there's a reason. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What fear is literally saying in almost every situation is I don't believe God's got my back here. Uh, I have met more parents that were worried that their children that they didn't think were very adjusted were going to kill themselves. I've met more people that knew the right stand to take and couldn't do it because they were scared if they did, the results would not be right. One thing I know is not taking the right stand doesn't produce the right results. These are enemies of our faith. But one of the things that I gleaned tonight that I liked is sometimes you can take what seems to be the right stand, it looks the right, and your motive simply be fear of loss, simply be fear of... And it's, our king wants us to trust him. He's pretty serious about it. I mean, I, I would say it is it's pretty well everything. And I would look, I would go out of my way to prove to him that I trust him. You might even during the day ask him to give you little tasks. Lord, you want me to talk to that one? 
I mean, how, how, how about that one? Because I trust you and I'll do You say, the, if you live with an expectation of being able to demonstrate your trust, he'll give you the opportunity to do it. I, I, I can assure you that. Thank you for that very good word. I'm still on the theme of clinch, turn, and mount an offensive. This just helps me do it. I do. I want to put fear on the ropes. I want to kick it in the face. As it's trying to get up, I want to curb stomp it. I, 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 I want to do it dirty, right? I, I want to finish it. Yeah. Tase it. Burn it after I finish tasing it. Could we stand our feet and pray together?